Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God as we bring a, to a close 2018 and embark upon a new year 2019. I always do this at the end of the year, preach a message that really encourages us to do a self-examination. So that's the title of my message, the self-examination. And our opening text will be set in Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Examine your neighbor. Examine your mother-in-law. Well, who's he say to examine? Oh, <laughs> examine yourself to see if you're in the faith or if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Now, we need to really put this in context. Because if you put this in context, you've got to go all the way back to 1 Corinthians. The whole ch uh, book of 1 Corinthians. And then all the way up to chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. Because you see, it's not easy for someone to receive correction. You find that difficult. I think we all have to a degree found that difficult in our lives. And Paul was basically correcting them for many things. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and what you find out he first of all encourages them, compliments them and says you come behind in no gift whatsoever. But it doesn't take very long until he gets to chapter 3 he says, I can't even speak to you as spiritual. I can only speak to you as carnal. You're like babes in Christ. There's envy, there's strife, there's division among you. Remember that? I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of this one, I'm of that one and everything. He says, who are we? It's all about Jesus, not about us. Then you go to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, what do you find out? Immorality that was committed that wasn't even among the Gentiles, that a man should have his stepmother and be living with her. I've judged in this matter, turned his body over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. Then you go to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, and what do you find out? He talks about, man, you were all those things. You were an extortioner, you were this, you were that. He goes, but now you've been washed in the blood, now you're clean. So your body's not for fornication, it's not for immorality. Don't take your body and, and become one with a prostitute, he said. Remember he said that your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. That you have a God and you're not your own. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Glorify God in your body and your spirit because they belong to God. Then you go to the next and, and, and you find out this. Chapter 7. He's now talking about the same thing. Uh, sexual immorality. He talks about then marriage, divorce and remarriage. And he gets involved in all that. As you go through the whole chapter you start finding out different things. Like he said look in chapter 12 he talks about the gifts of the spirit. But he talks about look we need each other. We need all the gifts working together in harmony, just like your physical body is in harmony. And when it's out of whack, it's not good. It's not a good thing, right? 13th chapter talks about love, how love tempers everything. And the 14th chapter talks about the use of the gifts, and they were misusing the gifts. He's disciplining them along the way. And then he talks about the resurrection of the dead, and some didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. In chapter 15, he goes, if they, hey, if there's no resurrec resurrection of the dead, eat, drink, and be merry, because we all die tomorrow. It's all over. We're going back to the dust, and that's it. He said, but that's not the case because Christ has risen from the dead. 
You go to 2 Corinthians and we start leading up to where we're at and we see similar things being spoken, being said. He tells them to forgive the person that did the wrong in 1 Corinthians and accept them back into the church and they do. But you'll notice in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, if you were to read the latter part of that chapter, here's what he talks about. He said, look, you people are looking for a sign from me of my apostleship. In other words, your eyes are on me to determine whether or not I have the authority to speak into your life and tell you what's right and what's wrong. No one wants to be told how to live. Before I even say that, let me say this. Don't we love the verses that say you are more than a conqueror through him that loves you? Don't we love hearing Paul the Apostle say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Amen? You're an heir of God. You're a joiner of Jesus. Oh my goodness. We love those messages, don't we? But how many of you know those weren't the only messages that Paul the Apostle preached? He also talked about if you're going to talk the talk, then you need to walk the walk. And if you say you're in Christ, there should be outward evidences of the fact that you are in Christ. And so as we close out this, new, this old year and come usher in a new year, that's the whole purpose for this message. Paul said, look, you're looking at me and you want me to explain to you the authority that I have, the apostolic ministry that God has given me. In chapter 12, verse 12, he says, the signs of an apostle were surely wrought among you. In other words, you've seen them. Get your eyes off of me. He said, put your eyes on yourself. Do a self-examination. Take spiritual inventory. Locate where you're at spiritually because don't you know that Christ is in you unless you're reprobates? And right before that, he said these things. He said, you know, you gotta, I've told you before, stop all this outward strife, envy, division, immorality, etc., 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 etc. He said, stop all that. I've told you to stop all that. So don't, don't look at me for me to prove to you my apostolic authority. Look at yourself. Evaluate yourself. Do a spiritual examination to determine where you're at. Make certain that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Be certain that you are walking in love, living by faith, denying God godliness and worldly lust, looking for the appearing of our Lord. Make sure that you're walking in unity and harmony with your brothers and sisters, that you're forgiving and showing mercy. And he goes and lists all those different things. Now, how many of you know that's not as exciting as we're more than conquerors to him that loves us? But yet, it's the truth. Can you say amen? Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He wanted them to be sure and certain that they were in Christ and that they were living the life that Christ wanted them to live. Now, he didn't tell them to do something that he wasn't doing himself. Here from the Amplified uh, Bible, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither. But we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary, but like a boxer. Now, notice that word buffet could be also buffet. 
Did anybody buffet or did you buffet your body over the Christmas time? I guess it's a matter of interpretation, how you want to read it. But he said, I buffet my body. Notice this. Handle it roughly. Discipline it by hardships. And subdue it for fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit, not stand the test, be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. Paul wasn't telling them to do something that he wasn't doing himself. We all know that if we don't exercise ourselves, we can become weak, right? We can't stay in shape. We're not going to be fit. So we want to be certain that we continue to spiritually exercise ourselves in spiritual disciplines. Why? So that we can keep our focus and keep our eyes on the prize. You see, Paul understood and Paul knew it's easy to get our eyes off the prize in this world. We've got the devil, the world, and the flesh coming against us. It's very easy for a person to draw back, just like many of them were doing. And going back into a lifestyle that wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And so he's instructing them, don't look at someone else. Don't even look at your neighbor. Look at yourself. Look at your own life. Set a goal for yourself. The mark for the prize of the high calling is what we should all be looking at. The finish line, the goal line. That's what we want to achieve. And of course, the goal we know is obviously heaven and the glorified body and the best resurrection that we could possibly have. But the whole thought behind all this is this. Everyone's responsible for themselves. They're responsible for their own spirituality. They're responsible for living their lives the way God wants them to live their lives based on the teaching of his word. And if Paul the apostle had to discipline himself and daily buffet his body, daily exercise himself in spiritual disciplines in order for him to achieve success, where does that leave any of us? I mean, think about that. He had to make certain that he did it for himself because he's no different than anybody else. Never exalt anyone who's living in a flesh, blood, and bone body. We all encounter the same challenges along life's path, every single one of us. No one is exempt. We're all human. Peter said it this way. Don't be surprised what's coming against you. Everyone who's in the body of Christ is going to be challenged the same way you are. You might have a certain weakness, and maybe another one doesn't have that one, but they have other ones. So in other words, recognize your state, know that you are flesh, and know that in the flesh dwells no good thing. Crucify your flesh, bring it under control, subdue it so it doesn't dictate to your life spiritually. They weren't doing that, and when he called them on it, guess what? They got mad at him. My goodness, he's just the one that was delivering the message, but they got mad at him, and they shouldn't have been mad at him. They should have done exactly what he said. Look within yourself and determine where you're at. So as we usher in this new year, that's my encouragement to all of us. Evaluate your own spiritual life and find out where you're at. Now let me give you, let me give you some insights. Look at Philippians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul said, be followers of me as I am of Christ. Remember he said that? Two of you remember he said that. <laughs> remember he said that? Well then how was he a follower of Christ? How do I know how he followed Christ if I don't read the word of God to determine exactly what he was talking about? Well, let's see what he said. For my determined, this is the Amplified. It's really AMPC because there's two Amplifieds now. This is the AMPC in actuality because there's a new version of it. So this is the classic version of it. For my determined purpose is, in other words, this is my goal. This is my aim. That I may know him, that I may be 
may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing, understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness even to his death in the hope that if possible I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me up or lifts me out from among the dead even while in the body. Not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect but I press on to lay hold of grasp and make my own that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do, it's my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full grown have this mind and hold these convictions. And if in any respect you have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained and walk in order our lives by that. So as we break it down, we find out his determined purpose is, number one, to know Christ more intimately. Does anybody here want to know Christ more intimately? We all should want to know him more intimately, but think about the statement coming from this man, the Apostle Paul. He saw Jesus on the Damascus Road, had a 180. Jesus personally took him and taught him the gospel by revelation. He's the same man that was caught up to the third heaven and saw things that really were unlawful for him to utter. He had these experiences with Jesus during his earth walk that go beyond our comprehension. But what was his desire? That I may know him a little bit better. What's that tell us? We're never going to achieve that, the fulfillment of that, the fullness of that, till we leave this realm. But that should be our aspiration. That should be our goal. See, it's not just coming to church and being religious or whatever, or going through the motions. It's, I really want to know you, Lord. I want to know you more intimately. I want to know you personally. And I want the life in me to manifest through me. I want to walk that out. Number two, he said, he wanted to experience the power of his resurrection. Oh my. He prayed that people would have a revelation of the power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead. That we as believers would have a desire to experience the power of his resurrection and its effect in our lives and how it can be effective through our lives to help bless other people. What an aspiration. What a goal to have in mind. Okay, number three. He went on to say to be transformed into his likeness. He wanted to experience this life-transforming power, resurrection power in such a way that he would look more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, act more like Jesus every day of his life. That was his ultimate aim and goal. The ultimate aim and goal was not just to come to church and see how many services I can make throughout the course of a year. It was to be changed from glory to glory, to truly come with a listening ear and say, what can I receive? If I can only receive one statement this morning that will change me, change my heart, challenge my life. Anybody want to be challenged this morning? I guarantee you're going to have it, an opportunity to be challenged, myself included, as we hear the word being spoken. That's what our goal should be. That's what our desire should be. You know, sometimes you can relate to some of these things, like a video game or something like that. 
Oh, this is way back when, when Atari came out. How many remember Atari? <laughs> Some of the youngsters, they don't, thank God they're not here. They're looking like <laughs> Nintendo and Atari. And, you know, I, I, I still couldn't know what to do with these games today. But way back when, when my children challenged me, what was that one called? Super Mario? I consider it to be a challenge to beat that guy at the end. So I sat down and my determined purpose was to beat him. I did. It took effort, energy, practice over and over and over and over and over and over. And then you get right to the very end and you just about got him down and he kills you. And you just go, got to start all over again. But my determined purpose was, I'm going to beat that guy. I got him. I quit. <laughs> Don't touch it anymore. But do you see the determination? This is called his determination. I want to conform to the image of Jesus. We're going to slip along the way. We're going to miss it along the way. But you know what? My determined purpose is I want to look more like him, talk more like him, act more like him, be transformed by his power to be a changed person, to be a better person, to be a better husband or wife, to be a better father or mother, to be a better friend, praise God, family member, friend, a worker, a co-worker, a boss, an employee, doesn't matter. I want to be consumed with the life of God. And finally he said to attain the highest level of spiritual development. His desire was to attain to the highest level of spiritual development that you possibly can while you're living in this body on the earth. Is that a challenge? Sure it is. And the first step toward that challenge and in, in, in fulfilling it is found in the next statement. Paul said, but I'm not there yet. Look at verse 12 again. Now, not that I have now attained this ideal. Don't forget that. Paul said, I've not yet accomplished my goal. Or have already been made perfect. But I press on, strive for, strain after. To lay hold of and grasp and make my own. That, here it is. For which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. In other words, he sacrificed his life to make me something better than I am right now. He shed his blood to get a hold of me and transform me and make me be a better individual upon this planet. And if he did that for me, then I want to strain, I want to strive, I want to press on, I want to do everything I possibly can to be the person that he sacrificed his life for me to become. Can you see that? Amen. All right. So Paul knew how to do it. And he gives us instruction. Look at the first comment. What did he say? I got to forget those things that are behind. Anybody got to forget some things that took place last year? Last night? On the way to church? Put that in a sea of forgetfulness. Why Paul saying that? Because Paul was guilty of killing Christians. Paul was guilty of trying to snuff out Christianity in its inception, was he not? He had a lot of things that he did to really violate the kingdom of God and come against it, even though he didn't know it, he was doing it ignorantly. 
But there's a lot of things he had to forget. There's things we have to forget too because if we don't forget those things and put them in the sea of forgetfulness, the devil will bring them up and remind us of our past mistakes, our failures, our faults, our shortcomings, etc., etc., to try to use guilt and condemnation to do what? Paralyze us spiritually. What's the use? There's no sense going further. I've done it before. I'm going to do it again. That's a wrong attitude. Trust me. I spent a lot of time with Mario. And the beast. And every time he got me, I was more determined and more determined and more determined. I finally found out the secret. That's how we have to be. I got to forget my past mistakes, my faults, my failures, and all the things that I did in the past. I got to put that in a sea of forgetfulness and don't let the devil bring him up and remind me of those things that I did. Even successes, we can't rest on our laurels and just say, oh, I can go forth. I'm, I'm doing great because, you know, I'm successful. If you have that kind of an attitude, Paul didn't have that kind of an attitude. He goes, look, I've not arrived there yet. I've had some people tell me, I've read the Bible so many times, I don't need to read it anymore. Have you eaten food so many times you don't have to eat anymore? You're saying the same thing because God's words are spiritual food, is it not? So stop eating your spiritual food and I guarantee you, you'll become spiritually malnourished. We have to feed on it all the time. So Paul said, you got to forget your past mistakes, your faults, your failures, and all that sort of thing. Leave it back there. Don't let the devil bring it up and remind you of even yesterday you may have done something to Let's say, displease God, get, get it under the blood. Get it under the blood, get up and move on. Secondly, press on toward the goal. And he's talking about an Olympian in the Grecian games. He's talking about someone who really commits himself to winning the prize of the gold medal. And what does he do? He disciplines himself. He denies himself of certain things. He sees to it that he has the right diet, he does the right exercise, and he may not feel like doing it every day, but he's got the goal in mind. He wants to break that record. He wants to win the goal. We see it happening all the time in the Olympics, and you kind of wonder, when is the fastest man ever going to stop getting faster? Right? To break 10, what, 10 seconds in the 100, used to be 100-yard dash, now it's 100 meter, would be a milestone, but now it's down to 9, what, 953? Can you imagine that? Nine, five something. Running that fast. But they discipline themselves. They work hard to do everything they possibly can to break the record because they want to win the goal and the gold. Well, we got to have the same mental attitude, spiritually speaking. I'm not there yet. Are you there yet? Anyone there yet? Then strive, he is saying, and stress and and, and do everything you possibly can, strain. Next one, maintain the proper convictions and attitudes. He said, if you don't have this right mind, then let God show this to you. We've got to have a right mental attitude because if we don't have the right mental attitude, and as Peter said, if we don't gird up the loins of our mind, or basically he is telling us to make sure that you use your mind to make right thoughts, right choices and decisions in your life. Don't let thoughts come into your mind that's going to lead you down a wrong path. Think right things because if you don't, the enemy will take advantage of you. And you're not going to be encouraged to win the prize or to continue on. Think this way is what he's saying. And then finally he says, walk in what you know to do. Notice he doesn't take you where you're not at already. You know what's the right thing to do. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer. Stay in church. Stay witnessing for Jesus. Walk in love, 
Live by faith. Surrender your heart. Surrender your will. Control your tongue. I mean, these are things that we know we ought to do. Can you say amen to that? Okay, so he says, now this is your walk. He's not talking about your position in Christ. He knows you're saved, but now he's saying this is your walk. Walk worthy of your calling. Look at Ephesians chapter four and verse one. The walk of the believer is a worthy walk. It's a worthy walk that basically manifests on the outside what's on the inside. You could say that it's a walk that corresponds to the life of God that's within. So this is again from the Amplified Version. I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to and beg you to walk, lead a life, worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service. Wouldn't you say that's pretty powerful there? We've been called with a high holy calling. It's a high holy calling, every, every one of us. We've been called to be a part of the royal family of God. Not just a member of a church, but we belong to God. We belong to his royal family. We've got his royal blood flowing through our veins. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's calling us kings and priests before the living God. It's a high holy calling. And he says, now walk worthy of that calling. So he's talking about not our position in Christ, but the practical application of who we are in Christ, how we conduct ourselves. A walk is a course of action, the way we conduct ourselves. And so he explains, look at number one. He says that we're to walk in humility. Look at Ephesians chapter four and verse two. Living as becomes you with complete loneliness of mind, humility and meekness, unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing with one another and making allowance because you love one another. Humbling yourself, in other words, before God and before man. And you know what? A person who walks in humility is a person who esteems others even more highly than themselves. And you don't consider yourself better than someone else. As Paul said, I consider myself to be less than least of all the saints and all the apostles. Why? Because I'm the one that persecuted the church of God. He knew his place. Remember Jesus gave the story about those that were invited to a wedding. And this one fellow walks in and he just goes, sits right in the front. And uh, the person that did send out the invitations finally comes up and just says, you're sitting in someone else's chair. Remember that? Jesus said it would have been better for you to sit in the back than when he saw you sitting way in the back, he would have walked back there and said, hey, your chair is way up here in the front. It's an attitude of mind. It's an attitude of heart and mind that we all should possess. Consider others better than yourself. Consider others higher than yourself. Esteem them higher than yourself. And that's walking in humility. It's a walk of humility. And Jesus, you talk about humility. He humbled himself to become flesh and suffer the death of the cross for all of us. You talk about humiliation. What an example. Number two, it's a walk of unity. Look at verse three. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What is he saying that? The walk of the believer is mandated to be a worthy walk. And we walk worthy of him by being humble and then being a peacemaker. As much as it's possible, live at peace with all men. That means as much as it's in your power, be a peacemaker to do what? Create unity among the people within the body of Christ. And you know what? Over 39 years of ministry here, I, I tell you what, I, I, I thank God. I thank God because you've been taught 
the Word of God. You know the Word of God. And I see people that really long for and desire to have the manifested presence of God among us. And I see people willing to be in unity and harmony with that. Like just coming to the altar, for example, this morning. You know, sometimes what we could do is get into a rut. You ever notice you can get into a spiritual rut, even with a worship service and stuff like that? But you, you come up here, set aside your cell phone, little note here, whatever, and all that. Not to single anything out, but all of a sudden we just get lost in His presence. We gather with one heart, one mind, one accord, and we worship God. And you can sense the presence of God increasing by degree and measure. When people are in unity, what a difference it makes in the manifested presence of God. So be one to promote a walk of unity among believers. But people say, but you don't know about this, you don't know about that. Wait a minute. There is no perfect church. There will never be a perfect church. If you have found the perfect church, don't go to it, you'll make it imperfect. Can you say amen to that? All right, keep it perfect. Okay, walking toward maturity. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. It's a walk. We're talking about the worthy walk. It's a walk of humility. It's a walk of unity. It's a walk of spiritual maturity. God doesn't want us to be spiritual babies. He wants us to grow and mature. Look at what the scriptures say here. He gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Five, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. What is the primary objective of the fivefold ministry? To produce maturity in the lives of the people. So a body of believers can come together in unity and harmonious love, and each one can bring their gift, their talent, their ability together with others and create a habitation for God. May we never forget this. The church is not this building. The church is the assembly of people with their gifts, their talents, and their abilities coming together to use them to honor and glorify the living God. So he can live in our midst, pray as we praise him, and manifest his glory among us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. It's a walk of spiritual maturity. But then it's a walk... That's enlightened. It's an enlightened walk. Look at verses 17 and 18 from chapter 4. This I say therefore testify in the Lord. That you henceforth, henceforth walk not as others walk. As other Gentiles walk. In the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God. Through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. He's calling for them to walk an enlightened walk. And he talks about this in light and walk. Walk in the light, not in the darkness. You were in the darkness, now you're in the light. The light means we have a revelation of the will of God, the ways of God through the word of God, and we know exactly how he wants us to conduct ourselves and prioritize our lives. Number one, priorities. God first. Everybody say God first. God first. Spouse second. If you're not married, it's a different thing, but if, if you're married, spouse second. Family third. Or children, family third. 
And the list goes on there. You got a job, you got to be, you know, prompt at that. You got to do the right thing with that. Your church, you support your church, etc. But prioritizing our lives. So we shouldn't be blinded to the way God wants us to live our lives. We need to be enlightened as how to conduct ourselves, our character, our behavior, our attitudes, and so on. And then finally he says, it's a love walk. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Amplified version. Therefore. What's the rule when you see a therefore? Find out what it's there for. And we're going to find that out in just a moment. But therefore, meaning based on what I just said. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But based on what I just said, therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example as well-beloved children imitate their father and walk in love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. Here, the apostle Paul is telling the people that they are to imitate God walk in love, imitate their father because God is love. And since God is love, to imitate God means to imitate what? Love. And so what he reveals to us is the mandate to love, the motive to love, and the model of love in these verses here. Okay, so what's the mandate to love? We're told to love God, I mean, imitate God by walking in love. That's the mandate. That's not a suggestion, that's a mandate. What is the commandment of the new covenant? That you love, right? Love is the commandment of the new covenant. So the mandate is to love one another. To love, to imitate God by walking in love is the mandate. What's the motive? We need to have a motive. The motive is God loved us in Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You've been loved by him, and that should motivate me to love him and to love you. We love him because he first loved us. And we ought to, one, ought to love one another because he loved us. We owe it to him. The word ought means owe it to him to love one another because he loved us. So we're talking about a self-examination to determine our love walk, to find out what we'll see here in just a moment. But thirdly, the model. What's the model? Christ is the model. He sacrificed his life for us. Which is what Paul said in those two verses in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. That's the model. Look at him and how he sacrificed himself. Can we do that for a moment? When the Father was with him up there in, in glory. And he was the Logos before he was made flesh. They had a discussion about how mankind would be saved. And the Father probably said something like this. We need someone. One of us has got to go down there and do it. Well, son, would you do that? Would you go down there? Would you set aside your mighty power and glory and disrobe and robe yourself in human flesh and live a life on the earth that you created and die a death that no one should really have to die, but will you do it? And Jesus, the Logos, said, yes, I'll go. Think about that. The creator becomes the created. The infinite becomes the finite. The immortal becomes mortal. 
He loved you so much he did that. And then died a death that no one should have ever had to die. So he's our model. How he sacrificed himself for us. What can we do to sacrifice ourselves for him? Okay, so let's do this. And we'll close with this. Let's examine our own love walk. When we talk about examining ourselves, examine yourself to determine if you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you should be walking in love. You should be living by faith. You should be surrendering your heart to him. You should be honoring his will. Well, I'm talking about me too. We all should. We all should be uh, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, looking for the appearance of our Lord and Savior. We should be showing mercy and kindness, and we should also be forgiving one another as he forgave us, okay? All these things should be in place in our lives. And it's not for any wrong reason, but to just say, this is what it looks like, so we should be doing it. So, walking in love includes, from Ephesians chapter 4, number 1, being truthful. Here's our test. Evaluate yourself. Do a self-examination. Look at verse 25. Being truthful. Wherefore, put away, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So what does he say? One evidence of walking in love, one manifestation of walking in love is walking in truth. Remember he said speak the truth in love so that you can grow up into Christ? Why does he consider that's important to spiritual growth and development? Give me, let me give you a hint. Remember in John's gospel chapter 8 and verse 44 when Jesus talked about the devil he said he's a liar and he's been a liar from the very beginning. He's the father of all liars. Didn't Jesus say I'm the way truth and life? Didn't Jesus say my word is truth? Is God true? Let God be true and every man be a liar. Do you see when people walk in truth that's walking in love. It's a manifestation of love because God is love. And God has never told a lie. He's not a man to lie, nor the son of man to repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke, he'll make it good. When God gives his word, you can bank on it. You can be assured it will come to pass. He'll watch over it and make it good. That's a characteristic of love. It's a characteristic of God. And when you and I get saved, you know what? It's hard to lie. You kick the devil out, it's hard to lie because he's the liar. There is nothing more important in relationships than to have integrity and to know that you can trust one another. When it comes to a business proposition, when it comes to a marital relationship, when it comes to a relationship with our children, how important is it for us to know we can trust our children, that we know they're truthful? And if we see signs along the way that they're lying to us, what does it do? It erodes our ability to trust them, right? It lets all the water out of the bathtub of trust. Uh, 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 it's all gone. We can't trust them anymore until they prove themselves to be trustworthy once again. And you know what? You lose integrity, you lose a lot. That's why, it's, that's why in marriage we have a marriage covenant. That's why in agreements we sign a paper and ink, but marriage you seal it in blood. A blood covenant means death to the person that violates it. God takes it seriously. So one thing is truth. Being truthful. Lie not one to another. Next one. Control our anger. Tell that to an Italian. <laughs> or a redhead from what I hear. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess you can say anybody as far as that goes, right? <laughs> Control our anger. Look at verse 27. Or 26 and 27. Be angry. Nothing wrong with being angry. And sin not means control it. 
Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. It opens up the door to the enemy. So a person that walks in love, these are the characteristics. It includes being truthful and controlling our anger. Smith Wigglesworth, who raised 23 people from the dead, had an issue with anger. And he knew he could not serve God the best of his ability as long as he didn't control his anger. So what he did one day was he said, I'm going into my prayer closet. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to wait on you, Lord, until your glory falls upon me and helps me overcome this anger issue and he did he went in and he didn't come out until he got the glory fall on him power of God came on him he emerged from that place he had victory over his anger he never had anger problems ever again amen he was serious about it and God used him mightily look at the third one not stealing but working that may sound trivial but not stealing or taking from someone else to satisfy your own need and that could be in an illegal way. It can also be in a way that is, it's not maybe necessarily illegal, but it could be a deceptive way. We have this happen all the time. People come to the church, recently just had someone, and I'm talking, we're not, we're not talking about $20 for gas anymore. I need $850. I'm like, oh, so do I. <laughs> Let me know where you're getting it from. <laughs> And the story is longer than, you know, you can get a job and work and make the money. No, he that doesn't work shouldn't eat, the Bible says. And that's why that verse says, go on. Look at the verse, 26, look at the verse, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Look at how he puts this all together. Work hard to provide for your need, but also be motivated to help someone else. Bless someone else. Be a giver as well. So work hard to receive, but also give out. Don't steal. Don't take. I told you about the one fella that we had um, called us down to some, I won't even tell you what place where he told us to go to. Just got right home from a basketball game playing ball and all that sort of thing I need this money I need I need money for this I need money for that and all that we've helped them before in the past and all of a sudden now okay we didn't shut up our bowels of compassion but he says I need help I need help again and finally I said to him well you know what we just can't keep on doing this he said oh yes you have to because you are a Christian you are a church and you have to you can't shut up your bowels of compassion because I know you have to because I've asked and if, he, if I ask of you you have to give to me I said, well, you must know your Bible. He said, I do. I said, well, the Bible also says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. He said, you got me. You got me. See what he was doing? Not that you don't want to help people. We want to help people. But someone like that doesn't have a right mental attitude, does he? Doesn't have a right heart. Doesn't have a right attitude. And besides, there's many jobs he could have gotten out there as well. He just doesn't want to work. Okay, next one. Speak words that edify. This is evaluating our love walk. Do our words edify? Do we build up other people? Do we put people down with our words? Look at verse 29 and 30. Let no communication, corrupt communication, proceed out of your mouth, but that was good that edify, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. So in other words, our love walk has a lot to do with the words that we speak. 
We need to be able to speak right words, speak the truth in love, to grow up in Christ in all things. If we use our words to cut, to hurt, there's that speaks like the piercings of a sword to pierce people's hearts, to pierce their lives, to say things that are derogatory, to put them down with words. Words can be very very demeaning. They can destroy a young person's uh, desire to succeed. We can't be telling our kids, you're not going to amount to anything, you're going to be a failure, etc., etc. We don't use words to destroy people. We use words to build them up. That's part of our love walk. Look at the next one. Very powerful as well. See to it that we put away attitudes that destroy relationships. Look at the next two verses. Or the next verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of all that because that does not promote the love walk. Get rid of all that because that destroys relationships. So, these attitudes that, that exist, if, if they exist in us, then we, we have to do something about it. Strain and stress, as the Apostle Paul said, to see to it that you rid yourself of those things. And finally, practice kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Look at the next verse, verse 32. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Listen, the next verse says what? Be therefore imitators of God. Therefore and walk in love. So this is part of the love walk right here that he's talking about. Commit yourself to walking in love. So as we enter into this next year, do your self-examination. I'll do my self-examination. Determine where I'm at. Take this and study it. Look it over for yourself and just say, "Mm, okay, I can improve on this. I can improve on that. And maybe here and there. And in closing or summary, look at these two verses. If these two verses don't challenge us, we can't be challenged. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that says he abides in him. Are you in him? Ought. The word ought means we owe it to him. Himself. Also so to walk. Even as. He walked. Wow. What a tall order. To walk as he walked. And then look at Matthew chapter 5 verses 44. These are the ones that I. When I first got saved they really struck home with me. But you've heard it said in verse 43 of time past that you hate your enemies. Love your neighbor but hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use and abuse or use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. Sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans so? The same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore what? Spiritually mature. Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What a verse. Be therefore, what a goal. What a prize. What a mark for the prize of the high calling of God to be like our Father in heaven. What a mandate. If it were not true that we couldn't achieve what he's saying, why is it in there? Be mature like your Father in heaven is mature. That should be our aim and goal. So as we enter in this new year, let it be our aim and goal. And notice these, I just will close with these. To, to live a life of love is to imitate our Father and walk as Jesus walked. And that includes love those that oppose you, forgive those who abuse you, have compassion on those who are weak, Serve without being repaid. Befriend the discouraged and downtrodden. Share the gospel with those who are lost. All these things 
we need to take home with us. And I don't know about you, but for all of us, hmm, what a challenge for all of us to grow out into this new year and start saying, I'm going to be more like he wants me to be. I'm going to walk the way he wants me to walk. Can you say amen? amen? Let's all stand together before the Lord.